Come on with it. Hey, y'all, this is Chigger Ticky. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. As always, what I'm about to tell you is a true story. I'm not making any of this up. So let's get down to it. Your great-grandfather was murdered, and I was with him. The old man telling me this was my third cousin. But the word cousin didn't seem right, because I was 12 years old and he was at least 80. He was in town visiting his first cousin, my grandmother. She was cooking in the kitchen, and he and I were alone in the living room. What happened? I asked him. He looked at me gravely and said, I was about your age, maybe a little younger, when Uncle Bennett took me into town on his wagon to pick up some feed. We were coming back to the farm. It was late afternoon. We were maybe a mile from the house when I heard a couple of loud cracks from a hedge of trees beside the road. Uncle Bennett, your great-grandfather, slumped forward and sort of crumpled on the footboard. Strange thing is, it didn't spook the horses. They just carried us on home like nothing had happened. I called him, Uncle Bennett, Uncle Bennett. But he just stayed there all crumpled on the floorboard. And then I saw the blood was... Suddenly my grandmother came screaming out of the kitchen with eyes of rage I'd never seen in her. You fool, she railed at her cousin. Why do you mean telling the boy all that trash? The old cousin looked terrified, like he was about to get murdered. He protested. Ben Lee. Yep, that was my grandmother's name, Ben Lee. Ben Lee, he said, his voice shaking. I was just telling some family history. You were telling trash, she retorted, then told me to run outside and play. A little later, the old cousin got in his car and drove away, leaving me with only the threadbare beginning of a murder mystery. More than ten years later, when I was in my early twenties and my grandmother was beyond eighty and in failing health, I asked her for the umpteenth time to tell me what the old cousin was talking about. I expected her to stonewall me again as she always had, to pay no heed, to tell me to pay no heed to the old cousin. He had a wild imagination. But I always sensed that bundled inside of that wild imagination was the truth. This time, to my amazement, Grandmother sighed and said, Okay, I'll tell you, but you got to promise not to tell anyone else. I promised her, and I can only hope that the statute of limitations has run out on that. She started by telling me of her oldest sister, Nan, who was around her, who liked to drink and enjoy the men. As Nan was making a name for herself... Nan's and my grandmother's father had got into a land dispute with the owner of a neighboring farm. But my great-grandfather, Bennett, or Ben, was a former sheriff. And in that area, he knew how to pull the strings so that local authorities decided in his favor. And so they awarded him several prime acres of land that the neighboring farmer genuinely believed to be his. This neighboring farmer was a burly man who enjoyed boxing for money. My great-grandfather was a tall, wiry man, easy pickings for a seasoned fighter. The neighboring farmer intended to take his revenge on Ben with his fist. He found him at the feed store in town. He walked up to him and said, Ben, 
How's that whoring daughter of yours doing? He expected my great-grandfather to take a swing at him. Instead, he just walked out of the store, leaving the farmer to crow about what a chicken bin was. But as he was crowing, my great-grandfather came walking back in with a double-barrel shotgun leveled at his waist. Everyone froze as he stepped about a yard away from the farmer and unloaded both barrels into his stomach. He then laid the smoking gun on the counter and said, Y'all go get the sheriff. I'm turning myself in. Soon he was being tried for murder, my grandmother told me, with tears gathering in her eyes. She then clasped her hands to her chest and said in astonishment, He got off. He killed a man in cold blood in front of half a dozen witnesses, and the jury found him innocent. How could that happen, I asked. She said that a couple of her cousins had married into the family of the neighboring farmer and that blood was thicker than water and that these cousins were put on the stand and testified that the neighboring farmer had announced repeatedly that he was going to town to find Ben and goad him into a fight and kill him. My cousins knew that if they didn't testify that way, Daddy might hang. So the jury called it self-defense. Grandmother shook her head in amazement and shame. She told me that when the verdict was announced, the family of the neighboring farmer went berserk. His teenage son began to scream that he would kill Ben himself. And then, nearly two years later, things happened exactly as the old cousin told me. My grandmother, then just a little girl, remembered hearing her cousin screaming from the wagon as it rolled up the lane to the house. She recalls seeing her father crumpled on the wagon footboard. Being a child, she was shooed back indoors. Her daddy was dead on arrival. I said to grandmother, So that was the neighboring farmer's family getting their revenge, right? Wearily, she lifted her hand palm up as if to stop me and said, I don't think they did it. They all had strong alibis. The boy who said he was going to kill Daddy was 30 miles away when it happened. So who did it, I asked. She sighed and said, Well, Mama had a cousin called Judge Bell. He'd only been a judge for a little while before he lost that job, but everybody kept calling him judge because he was really just a lawyer. After Daddy was killed, Mama asked him to sort out the family affairs. My grandmother remembered Judge Bell coming to the house with a passel of papers for her mother to sign in duplicate. Being functionally illiterate, her mother relied on Judge Bell's descriptions of what she was signing. And after she had finished signing, the judge gathered the originals to file with probate. About a week later, my grandmother's oldest brother, by then married and living away, came to the house, and as he looked over the papers that his mother had signed, he slumped into a chair, dropped his head into his hands, and moaned, My God, Mama, you've signed away the farm. She had, in fact, signed everything over to Judge Bell. Grandmother, I protested, there are laws against that. She looked at me like I'd grown a third eye and said, this was Shelby County, Alabama in 1916, where a man can kill another man in cold blood in front of witnesses and get off scot-free. You don't see? The law didn't matter. It was all about who you knew. She told me that a couple of months later, a body floated up on the shore of the nearby Coosa River. 
It was bloated, putrid, beyond recognition, except to say it was a male body, and nearby had washed up the wallet and identification of Judge Bell, so the body was presumed to be his. Not long after this, my grandmother said, Alabama Power showed up with the deed to the farm. They had purchased it from Judge Bell, and eventually the power company would flood most of the acreage to build a hydroelectric dam on the Coosa River. I asked my grandmother, Well, who got the money Alabama Power paid for the property? Judge Bell, she said. Yes, I answered, but who got it after he died? Judge Bell, she repeated. What? I asked, and then this is what she told me. There was a black girl whom my grandmother had grown up with, and like many of that generation, this girl had gone to Birmingham to work domestically for a well-to-do family. So on weekends, she would take the short train ride back home. My grandmother said that this young woman literally swore on a Bible that she had seen Judge Bell at the Birmingham train station boarding a westbound coach a couple of weekends after the body alleged to be Judge Bell's had washed up on the Coosa shore. And only a few weeks before the body had washed up, my grandmother said, an itinerant worker who had signed on at the sawmill had suddenly disappeared. Nobody thought much of it at the time. Most figured that the guy had just moved on. But my grandmother was convinced it was his body, not Judge Bell's, that was found on the shores of the Coosa. My grandmother looked at me, shaking her head, her face a mix of misery and horror. Judge Bell killed my father, she said. Then he took the money and ran. About once every ten years, I drive down to the old country, and I walk up on to the Logan Martin Dam. From there, I can look down the Coosa River, and off to the right, I can see what's left of the old family farm. Sometimes, as my eyes scan that patch of land, I recall the celebrated Southern Gothic writers, William Faulkner, Carson McCullers, Flannery O'Connor. And I think they were storytellers with wild imaginations. But bundled up in those imaginations is the truth. Hey, y'all, thanks for dropping by. Hope you come back to the Chigger Ticky podcast. Shoot me an email at chiggerticky at gmail.com. In the meantime, be kind to one another, be excellent to one another, and never forget to come on with it.